Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Welcome those of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online and up at the chapel, um, as well as those of you who are worshiping our Lord together at one of our other campuses at Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and also in the Northwest Calgary. Just uh, one little assignment to all of you who are meeting at our different campuses, including those of you here at Central. I want to be sure that you give uh, at least um, one of your pastoral teams, someone that perhaps you, uh, you know, are connected to the closest or whatever, be sure you give them a hug before you leave today. Tell them that you're praying for them. And if you're not, don't lie. Um, just say you're going to be praying for them. Um, all right. And, and um, just communicate to them anything else you feel prompted Uh, to to say that's encouraging and that communicates that you're all in and that you're there for them. Um, And if they're not here this weekend, then hunt them down next week uh, in a good way and uh, bless them uh, with a hug and a word of encouragement. You know, you will bless me immensely if you will bless our staff this way. Thanks so much for doing that. We're in a series this fall um, on what the Bible has to say about Uh, One of the key pursuits of a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, and that is the pursuit of generosity. Now, you know, one of the curses of our age is we rarely take time to reflect anymore. We rarely take time to just stop and um, think about uh, what we're giving our life to. And so I want to ask you this question. When was the last time you slowed down long enough to ask the question, what am I giving my life to and why? Over the years, as I have talked to people from all walks of life, I've been astonished at how many have given little consideration to this question. Well, I'm praying that this series will serve not only to challenge all of us to examine our values, our priorities, and our decisions in life, but also to understand and embrace God's plan for us and the priceless faith-building adventure that God wants us to experience through a life of generosity, a life that Jesus assures us is not only a blessed life, but also a totally satisfying life. But before we get into it, would you stand with me as we dedicate our time in God's word to the Lord in prayer? I'm going to invite you again just to open your hands to receive all that he has. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a generous God, for giving us everything that we have and enjoy. Our hands are open to you, Lord, to receive from you. As we examine your word in how you want to impact our world through us and through our generosity. Lord, please focus our minds, soften our hearts. And Lord, give us the courage to not only hear, but also to do what you're calling us to do. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. may be seated. So imagine a person of great wealth sitting down with you and saying, I have a proposition for you. I have a deep desire to meet the needs of those who are hurting and would like to meet their needs through you. So here are $150 bills, $5,000. And all I ask is that when you become aware of a legitimate need, As the Lord leads you, you use however many of these bills you need to in order to meet that need on my behalf. When you run out of money, just give me a call. I'll take you out for lunch. And if you'll tell me the stories of the people that you helped with my money, I'll give you, and and give me an account of how much you gave to each person, 
I'll replenish you with even more. Now just think about that for a while. If someone actually made an offer like that to you, gave you an endless supply of cash to help people who are in need, I mean, wouldn't that be a lot of fun? Just, just going around being generous, blessing people with someone else's money. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I could sign up for that. I mean, man, you know, I could do that full time. That would be so much fun. Now, lest you accuse me of living in fantasy land, this actually happened to a pastor named Chip Ingram. When Chip was a young pastor, an elderly man in the church that he was serving at a man by the name of John, who was financially blessed and also really generous in giving to their church, he, he met with him, and he essentially made this offer to Chip. And after a lengthy question and answer time, Chip took him up on his offer. And even though at first he was a bit nervous, you know, about who he should bless with the money and how much he should give in each situation and you know, what's a legitimate need and who's trying to con me? You know, all those issues that typically is associated with this kind of um, adventure. Over time, he says, it got easier and actually got to be a lot of fun. Chip says, each day as I prepared to leave the house, I put my wallet in one pocket and I put some of John's money in the other. I started to feel like Santa Claus every day of the year, wondering who God wanted me to help with John's money, and it turned out to be an exciting adventure. Now, Chip had a number of takeaways as a result of this secret arrangement. One was he became far more sensitive to the needs of the people around him. When you have a generosity mindset and the means to be generous, you become much more attuned and much more open to the needs around you, whether they're the needs of people or the ministry needs of, uh, of certain ministries. In fact, you begin to actually look for where the needs are. Furthermore, Chip observed that rarely a day went by when he didn't think about uh, this older guy, John. He says, whenever I encountered someone in need, whether it was a young woman dealing with an unplanned pregnancy or a family at church whose funds had completely gone dry. He said, I had to try to see each situation through John's eyes and ask myself, well, what would John do in this situation? How would he want his resources invested in this particular situation? Chip says, before we made this secret arrangement, John and I had very little in common. In fact, the only time we really saw each other was, you know, at our Sunday morning worship services. Now I found myself thinking about him multiple times a day, wondering how he would respond to a certain needy situation. Chip says, I also quickly learned the importance of keeping an accurate record of where John's money was going and had gone. When I first got married, he says, we didn't have a budget and we just sort of estimated how much we had in the bank. But now that I was dealing with John's money, I knew I would have to give an account for what I did with it. And so I learned to keep careful records. Finally, this secret arrangement resulted in this older godly man and this younger energetic pastor becoming the best of friends. Chip says, he never made me feel like an errand boy. Every once in a while, he'd invite Chip out for a celebratory meal at one of the finest restaurants in the area. And John would remind Chip of God's bountiful blessings and that they were here to celebrate the goodness of God. Toward that end, John would bless Chip with an extravagant meal and Chip would bless John by telling him extravagant stories of how God had used his generosity to bless and meet the needs of many hurting people and many hurting ministries. Chip says, after we got through talking about the way that we were able to help needy families and hurting children and teens and, and others who were just uh, in need of a helping hand, John would loudly proclaim in this restaurant for everyone to hear 
he would just say, well, praise the Lord. And then he, with a twinkle in his eye, he would look Chip in the eye and he'd say, let's do it again. And do it again, they did. He would provide Chip with more funds and the generosity cycle would start all over again. Now, friends, this is a picture of how God wants to express his generosity through you and me. And even more so, it's a picture of the kind of relationship that we are going to enjoy with God when we're generous with what he gives us. Ever since our first parents, Adam and Eve, turned their back on God, and as a result, their relationship with God was fractured. It was fractured with each other. Evil, pain, death, division, selfishness entered into the cosmos. Ever since all that's happened, God has been on a mission to bring all people back in right relationship with himself. And God in his sovereignty has chosen to accomplish his mission through you and me his devoted followers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, for we are co-workers in God's service. We are called to work together with him and also with one another to bring a little heaven down to earth through our lives for his ultimate glory. Remember, this is what Jesus taught his disciples and taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. He taught us to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we engage in his mission, that is really what we're praying for and that is what we're following him in. That his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now over to my right, your left, is a map of our city. It has hundreds of little markers and lights on it, indicating the hundreds of small groups meeting in almost every community in our city. God wants us to be his representatives, his light, where we live, where we work, where we go to school, to make the invisible Christ visible for all to see through our testimony, through the attitudes with which we live our lives, and also, of course, through the behaviors of our lives. And one of the key ways that he does this is by being generous with us so that we can be generous with others, all with the hope that people would see the love of Jesus in us and want to know him even as we do. Now, unfortunately, because of the fall of man, which I referred to a moment ago, we are not inclined to be generous. Oh, yes, we may exercise token generosity, which essentially costs us little. In some cases, doesn't cost us anything, but just kind of makes us feel good. But we are not naturally inclined to be radically generous or to be sacrificially generous. Even when we do give, our giving is often motivated more by guilt than it is by joy and delight. And this is truly unfortunate because unless we break out of this, we will miss one of the greatest ways that God wants to use us to make an eternal difference in our world and also in the lives of the people we know. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Apostle Paul gives this solution. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, if you want to break free from the selfish and greedy thinking of our culture, it's going to require a change of mind about who you're really trusting in. We talked about that last week. Who are you going to believe are you going to believe Christ or are you going to believe our culture? In addition, it's going to require that we trust in and that we participate in God's plan for generosity. So you ask, well, what's God's generosity plan all about? Well, the Bible gives three key principles that describe God's plan for generosity. And the very first one is this, God owns it all. 
He owns every plant, every rock, every animal, every person, everything. You name it, he claims it. It's his. In Exodus 19, verse 5, God declares, all the earth is mine. In Psalm 24, 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. In 1 Chronicles 29, we have an account where King David and the people of Israel um, are giving generously in order to build the temple, which was the seventh wonder, one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world. And David donated a large portion of his own personal assets for this particular project. In fact, it's projected by scholars that what David gave was the equivalent of over $10 billion in today's currency. The people also gave more than was needed, and David was so overwhelmed by it all that he prays a prayer to God. And this is what he prays. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Now, you see, here is one of the reasons that I believe that the Bible refers to David as being a man after God's own heart. I mean, David at this point in his career and in his kingdom is the most powerful king in the then known world. And yet he makes it abundantly clear to all who can hear that God is God and that he, the king, is not. And that the Lord God Almighty deserves all of the praise and glory and honor. Furthermore, David takes no credit for the billions that he has given or for all the, that the people have given. No, David says, Lord God, this is all about you. Everything we've given is really yours to begin with. It all belongs to you. David rejoiced in his people's generosity, but he made sure everyone was clear that God is the owner of it all. It's not my stuff. It's not your stuff. It is not our stuff. It's God's stuff. We all clear on that? All right. You know, I love the story of Lisa Rajek tells about a man who was dying at home in bed. He can smell the aroma of chocolate chip cookies, his favorite kind of cookie, baking downstairs. He wants one more cookie before he dies. Just one more cookie. And so he drags his body out of bed. He rolls down the stairs. He crawls to the kitchen. He reaches a trembling hand to grasp just that one final cookie. When he feels the sting of a spatula smack his hand. Put it back, says his wife. They're for the funeral. That's pretty much the way it is. You know, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a cookie, of course. But the reality is, even when we live in denial, the spatula of life whacks us one day, reminding us nothing that we have or enjoy is ours to hang on to or to keep. It's God's cookies. It's God's clothes. It's God's car. It's God's body. It's all God's stuff. Now you say, well, why does God have a claim on everything? Well, for two reasons. First of all, because he created it. God made it all, and so he owns it all. Furthermore, God not only created it all, but he sustains it all. Colossians 1.17 says that he holds everything together. He keeps it going. Without God, we'd all be dead right now. Every breath, every heartbeat is a gift from the gracious hand of God. That's the first principle of God's generosity plan. God owns it all. The second is this, God gives to us. Although God owns everything, he gives it freely. Throughout the scripture, read again and again about 
the fact that our God is a giving God. In John 3, 16, it says, God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his one and only son. Jesus, God the son, came to earth, took on human flesh, and gave his life. He died on a cross to pay for our sins so that we might be reconciled again with God. Back in First Chronicles 29, the passage I referred to a moment ago, King David goes on to say this, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. King David realized that without God's generosity toward us, we would never have the opportunity to give at all. I mean, think about everything that God has given to us. I mean, he's blessed us with incredibly sophisticated bodies that the best of human technology can't replicate. He's blessed us with amazing minds that have the capacity to store more information than the world's largest libraries. I know, I know, you're thinking, man, I think I'm missing a few volumes. You know, I can totally relate to that. Totally, you know, but we still have amazing minds, don't we? God has blessed us with incredible talents and spiritual gifts. He's gifted us with his wonderful creation, the mountains, Calgary, blue skies, amen? Beautiful out there, lush pastures. The oceans, the rivers, birds, fish, cows and horses, and even dogs and ca kangaroos. I'm still working on being thankful for cats. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yes. Anyway. <clears throat> now, on top of that, you know, he's, he, he's given us the gift of time, the gift of friendships, the gift of family, our homes, our clothes, our food. Man, we're blessed. God gives us all that we have freely. And in Genesis 2.15, he simply asks us to manage it well, to be generous with it. Unfortunately, instead of managing God's creation, many of us begin to think that we own it. It's ours. We trade places with God and we start acting like we're the owners as if we created everything, as if we created the world. We begin to, you know, puff out our chests and, yeah, I'm a self-made man. And we start using words like my possessions and my time and my rights and my talents and my life. Folks, who gave that all to you? God did. Deuteronomy 8.17 says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I mean, that sounds pretty contemporary, doesn't it? But then look what it goes on to say. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth, really to do anything. In 1 Corinthians 4, 7, the Apostle Paul asks, what do you have that you did not receive? I mean, think about all that you have. Think about your money and your possessions, the ability to do your job. Think about your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, the talents that you have, your athletic abilities, your salvation, forgiveness, grace, your health, your strength. What do you have that you have not received from God himself? And yet, sadly, we often lose sight of this. Instead of being content with what God has given to us, we look over the fence at our neighbor and we say, you know, God, he's, he's really famous. Why am I not famous like him? Or we look over the fence of the other neighbor and say, this guy is loaded. Why don't I have as much as he does? That's not fair, God. I want what he has. And you know, many times, instead of being thankful and content with all that we do have, some people will take matters into their own hands and they will go into excessive debt 
or they will work themselves to the bone with number of different jobs, or they'll compromise their convictions, or they'll risk their personal and their family health to get what everyone else has. And yet they fail to realize that God never intended for all of us to be the same or to have the same things. I mean, suppose a man came up to you and handed you the keys to a brand new $20,000 car and said, it's yours. I mean, would you be grateful? Of course. But now suppose the same man goes to your best friend or to your brother or sister and gives them the keys to a brand new $50,000 car. Would you still be grateful for the car you received? Or would you say, oh, hold it. That's not really fair. You see, often that is how we respond to God's good gifts to us. We, we, we say, you know, well, God, you know, I, I'm being faithful. I'm being generous just like this person's being faithful and generous. And yet look at the way you're blessing him. And I'm not. I'm not being blessed that way. And we say it's not fair when, in fact, we've become almost insensitive and blind to God's incredible blessings that he's given to us. And if it wasn't for his grace, we wouldn't even have the gift of life itself, much less anything else that he's given to us. God says, I've given you exactly what you need to be and to do what I want you to be and do. Nothing more, nothing less. And as we go into the future, I'm going to give you exactly what you need to be and to do what I'm calling you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to manage what I've given to you well on my behalf. You are free to use it. You're free to enjoy it, but never forget I own it all because I made it and I keep it going. The first principle of God's generosity plan is God owns it all. The second is God gives to us. The third principle is God gives through us. As I've already said, God's chosen to accomplish his mission here on earth primarily through us, his devoted followers. And we've already seen that God gives to us. And yet what he gives to you in terms of time, in terms of resources, money, in terms of gifts and abilities may not be the same as what he gives to me. In fact, chances are high they won't be the same. Sometimes he gives to you what I need and he gives to me what you need. And so here's the thing. If God's will is going to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then we need to be generous with what he's given to us. His entire economy, which is totally different than the world's economy, the world economy operates on getting. His economy operates on the idea of giving and sharing. So we need to be generous with what he's given to us. Now think about that for a moment, that the confidence that God is placing in us. He is counting on you and me to be the conduit of his love, his kindness, and his generosity to other people. If we fail to do our part, God's entire generosity plan begins to break down. If we get greedy... Our world gets needy, which explains why there are so many needy people in the world, because so many people in our world are greedy. It's not that God hasn't provided, it's that too many people are not being generous with what he's already provided. But if we faithfully respond and others uh, respond to the voice of God and his prompting in our lives to be generous and others faithfully respond as well, then not only is our faith in God going to skyrocket as we see his activity at work through our obedience, but you know what? A little bit of heaven 
is going to come to earth to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. So here's how it works. God gives to us. He makes a deposit, as it were, in our trust account. That's the easy part. It's called receiving. And then at some point, he prompts us to transfer some or all that he's put into our trust account into the trust account of other people or other ministries. And that's the hard part. That's called giving. As we transfer inventory out of our trust account into the trust account of other people or other ministries, God promises to make compensating deposits into our trust accounts. Not only to provide for our needs, but at times giving us even more than we need so that we can give more to others. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. Notice it says give. It says you exercise faith. You step out, you give. And then it will be given to you. Now please understand, this is not a give in order to get kind of scheme. Don't sit there and say, okay, there's my plan to get rich. I'll give so I get more. Yeah. God knows your heart. And if you give in order to get more for yourself, for personal gain, count on being disappointed because God does not bless selfishness and greed. Many people over the years have become disillusioned and in some cases bitter because they tried to dictate to God the amount, the kind, and even the timing of God's compensating deposits. They believed some television evangelist who said, if you'll send $100 to my ministry, God will deposit a $1,000 check into your bank account before Christmas. You can take that to the bank. Now make no mistake, if you give with a pure heart, God may bless you this way and even more so, but he will not be put into a box. He is not some celestial vending machine where you just punch in a certain code or a certain formula and you get exactly what you ordered. Bob Coy tells of a church somewhere in the United States <clears throat> that figured out a way to get people to give way more than they were giving. Their budget doubled, tripled, I don't know. But the way they did it was they focused on people's greed. Now, I don't know how theologically they did this, but this is what they did. They had everyone put their offering in an envelope with their name and the amount of the offering written on the envelope. And then they put it in an offering box. Now, they do this week after week, okay? And they put it in an offering box and after every service or somewhere in the service, they would draw one envelope out of the offering box. And the person who got picked got 10 times the amount of what the offering they gave. <laughs> and so, if you gave $1,000 and got picked, it was your lucky Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you walked in with 1000 and you walked out of church with $10,000. You know, if we were to do that, <laughs> just, uh, can't imagine. But anyways, if we were to do that, or if we were to sell lottery tickets, you know, promising a select group of winners, you know, a new home, a new car, new trailer, our offerings might actually go up. But God wouldn't have and won't have any of it because it's based on greed 
It's based on giving to get, not from a heart of true generosity. And I remind you that God's concern and his focus is always on the heart. What's going on in here? Why we're doing what we're doing. I like how Randy Alcorn addresses those who advocate a prosperity gospel. He says, God doesn't prosper me to raise my standard of living. He prospers me to raise my standard of giving. Good word, Randy. If God, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if God blesses me with more, then if my heart is right, I will see the increase as him trusting me with more and giving me the opportunity to actually give more rather than spending more on myself. And so with that in mind, what, can, what we can know for sure is this. When we sense God calling us to do something and we step out in obedience and we do it, For example, when we sense God calling us to send a note of appreciation to someone and we do it, or when we take supper over to a family who just had a little one, or we invite a neighbor over for supper, or we visit someone in the hospital or someone in a a senior nursing home or someone in prison, or when we send a care package to a missionary or purchase groceries for a hurting family, When we let someone use our cabin or give our senior pastor tickets to the flames, oh, what? (laughs) Threw that one in, yes. Anyways, when (laughs) when we shovel someone's walk, or, or help someone move, or give someone a ride to church, when we stop, And we pray for someone that God has laid on our hearts. When we support Christ-centered, transparent, and accountable parachurch organizations. When we serve God faithfully in the area that he has gifted us in and called us to. When we support the mission of our church financially and also with the investment of our time. The list is endless. In short, when we obey the Lord and are generous with what he has given to us, we are exercising faith. And in so doing, we're not only involving God in our lives, but we're involving him in our finances. And when we do that, look out. Because your adventure of faith has just begun. And God, in the midst of all that, promises to meet all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Not all of our wants, but all of our needs. Now, church, as you grasp this, and you begin to truly trust God's generosity plan and begin to practice it, there's going to be a little bit of heaven that starts coming down into your life, into your small group, into your community. And you're going to... And you're going to find yourself having a totally different mindset in life. You will find yourself asking a certain question, not not just occasionally, but daily. In fact, sometimes hourly. A question that's really easy to ask, but it's very difficult to answer. A question that you can't ignore, though, if your heart is dialed into the heart of God. And the question is this. Jesus what do you want me to do with what you've entrusted me with? What do you want me to do with the abilities, the talents, the spiritual gifts that you've entrusted to me? Lord, what do you want me to do with this car or these cars that you've entrusted to me? Lord, what do you want me to do with this home or these homes you've entrusted to me? What do you want me to do with the money, the possessions, the resources you've entrusted with me how do you want me to take care of this temple this body that you've entrusted me with
God wants to transform our lives and our communities and our world through us, through our generosity. The issue is, do we believe him in this? Do we trust Jesus enough to listen to his whispers and to pass on what he has entrusted with, uh, to us? Even more so, can God actually trust us with what he's given to us to use it for the purposes that he intended? Ron Blue tells a story of a retired pastor and his wife who early on in their marriage determined that they were going to trust God to meet their needs. And when he was in seminary, they had very little money. But they continued to be generous with what little they had. They had two children, and every Friday, a milkman would come and deliver some milk. Those were the days when milkmen actually came to your door. One particular Friday, however, they had absolutely no money in the house for groceries or for milk. And just before leaving that morning, this young pastor prayed with his wife and said, you know, dear, we're, we're going to have to trust God to provide groceries and milk. Shortly after he left, his wife was standing in the kitchen window noticing that the milkman was walking toward the back door. Her heart sank because she knew she couldn't afford to buy any milk. And she was heading to the back door when there was a knock at the front door. And so given the fact that she couldn't buy any milk anyway, she decided she'd go to the front door first. She opened the door, and there in front of her stood a woman from their small group. And the woman shared how a few days earlier she was overwhelmed with a prompting from God to give them some money. She tried to ignore it, but it just wouldn't go away. In fact, it, it became more urgent with time. And so after delaying two more days, go figure, after delaying two more days, she finally couldn't resist anymore and she became obedient to the Lord. She apologized for being two days late, but then proceeded to hand uh, the young pastor's wife the cash that was in her hand. By now, the pastor's wife was in tears and she thanked her profusely for her obedience, explaining their financial situation to her. And then she walked to the back door and bought the much-needed milk. Now, now, now think about that. The faith that was built into the life of that young pastor and his wife because of what happened. But think also about the faith that was built into the life of that woman who, after some resistance, decided to do what she felt God was calling her to do. You know, folks, sometimes we don't embrace God's generosity plan because we're afraid that God's going to ask us to do more or to give more than we feel we can. But we need to understand that generosity isn't something that God wants from us. It is something God wants for us. He wants us to grow in our faith in him through our generosity. In Matthew 25, verse 21, Jesus indicates that he grows our faith one small step at a time. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. In other places, Jesus says, if you're faithful in the little things, then God will entrust you with greater things. And this is what the principle is. God starts out by asking us to trust him and to be generous in a small way. And as we follow him in that and begin to experience his faithfulness, he calls us to trust him in greater ways. And so if you're a new believer, Jesus probably won't start you out in your faith by adventure, by asking you to give your car away, for example. But he may ask you to help your neighbor build his fence. If you've been a Christian for quite some time, he may not ask you to give your savings away, although, who knows, one day he might. But right now, he may ask you to increase the percentage that you give to further his kingdom purposes. To trust him to move maybe from 5% to 10%, or 10% to 15%. 
My question is, are you open to him? Do you trust him? How generous have you been with what God has given to you? How faithful have you been in responding to God's call to transfer some of God's blessings in your life over into his kingdom work? Can God trust you to pass on what he's entrusted you with? You know, whatever you refuse to hold with an open hand, whatever you refuse to make available to the purposes of God, not only represents a missed opportunity to make a difference, a real eternal difference in the life of a very real person, but it also represents a missed opportunity for you to have a priceless faith-building experience seeing God at work through your obedience. And, and, and of this you can be certain. Whatever you refuse to hold with an open hand will be the source of your greatest frustration, the source of your fears, worries, and sleepless nights. The temptation all around us is to get self-absorbed. The temptation all around us is to conclude that the problems of our world and the problems in people's lives are too great to deal with, to fix, and to close the drapes to it all, to grow cynical, and to quit doing what God's calling us to do. To conclude, ah, it doesn't make any difference anyways. If we do so, not only will God's will not be done on earth as it is in heaven, but our heart will grow smaller and our faith and our love will shrivel up inside and we're going to end up in despair realizing that we spent our life just putting in time. God didn't create us for this purpose. He didn't create us to live that way. He put us in this world to delight in him and to love him and to share uh, with um, other people his love and all that he's given to us so that they would see Jesus in us and come to know him even as we do. May it be so to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. Would you just take a moment now? Just bow your head and just reflect on what you've sensed God saying to you as a result of our time together. Ask God to show you what he would have you to do. Talk with him about this right now in response. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? You know, studies have been done that when I read them, they're often quite discouraging for those of us who teach and preach week in and week out. They say that people can be really challenged. They can be moved in a service. But by the time that they get to their car, their resolve to do anything about what they've heard is already greatly diminished. Studies show that within a day or two, most of what was taught in the sermon is forgotten. But on the other hand, when a person continues to listen to God and to talk to God about what God has been laying on their hearts, if a person talks to their spouse or to their family about what God spoke to them about in the message, or talks with her small group of friends about it, 
they are far more inclined to not just hear the word, but actually to allow the spirit to transform them through the word. And so I want to challenge you to not only continue hearing the word, but allow God to transform you with the word. I want to challenge you to keep talking to God about what he spoke to you about today. I want to challenge you to talk about it on the way home with your spouse. Also talk as a family about what God's teaching you and saying to you through this generosity series that you'll be in this little booklet you received last week. And we may have some more of copies available if you didn't receive a copy. And that you'll be in this book and you'll allow God to speak to you and you'll use it as a guide to talk with your family. And if you're in a small group, that you will get that sermon study guide and you will continue to seek what God's saying to you, what God's saying to us as a church about being generous. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for the amazing love and grace that represents, Lord, who we are to you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and for creating us out of a sheer desire to be in relationship with us. Thank you also for calling us to manage your creation and involving us in your kingdom work. We aren't just going through the motions, Lord. You've given us a purpose that's worth giving our life to. Lord, we repent right now of the failure to take your calling seriously of the wasted years, the wasted talents, the, the wasted resources which we've hoarded or just spent solely on our selfish interests. Forgive us, Lord, when instead of managing what you've entrusted to us, we've begun to think that we own it. For the times we've allowed things to rule over us, even to the point where we have worshipped your creation more than you. Thank you for the freedom that comes in knowing that we're simply your managers. We're not the owners of all that we have. Oh God, thank you for that. Give us, Lord, the faith to believe you in this, to live accordingly, and to not buy into the thinking of our culture. Help us to remember, Lord, that you own it all, to hold things loosely, and Lord, to hold on to you tightly. Show us, Lord, where we're off track, and give us the faith and the courage from this day forward to faithfully express your generosity in our living, in our serving, and in our giving. For we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.